airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. And um, we are going to have a little bit of an apologetics discussion today. We're going to talk urban apologetics mm. and uh, talk about being able to give a defense and, and to really be able to defend the truth in whatever context we find ourselves in. Yeah. But there was another reason for us to talk about um, urban apologetics, if you will. And mm. that's because of the recent headline um, back on December the 12th when there were two formerly affiliated black Hebrew Israelites who stormed into a Jewish deli. Yeah, a kosher deli. A kosher deli Mm -hmm. and um, murdered four people, including two Jews, but they they really intended to do more harm than that. Right. Um, Their sights, I believe, was also set on a school that had like 50 kids there. And um, and, and so so one of the things... barely got uh, any... (laughs) You know, press or airplay. I no. didn't see it on the news a lot. I mean, you no, know. me neither. And and the way that it was covered, I think, is suspect too. And let me say this: I learned about this because of my mom calling. Mama D called and mm. and said, um, "Hey, Meek, did you hear about the Black Hebrew Israelite shooting?" And I said, "No, I didn't hear about that." <laughs> and she goes, "Okay, well, I think this is something you're interested in." And you need to you need to find out more <laughs> about that, you know. And so I started looking into it and um, and I thought, well, why isn't this one of those, you know, like because here's what happens when you have a terrorist attack like this, mm-hmm. you know, um, automatically it's the president's fault. Mm-hmm. So there was something interesting that happened with this because you start looking for the stories. It's like, you know, OK, oh, it's it's white supremacy. White supremacy is the, that's yeah, the that's narrative. narrative. That, yeah. That's got to be the connection exactly. that's always made. Right. But this was not the connection. Yeah, you didn't have all of that. And therefore, it wasn't really worthy of news coverage. Right. And that's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> and so there's a whole conversation that you need to have around that. You say, wait a minute, there is a rise of anti-Semitic um, attacks and anti-Semitic speech, not only in this country, but around the world, but certainly increasing in this country at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. And all of that is going on. Mm-hmm. You would imagine that, you know, it would it would be at the point where our news media wouldn't be able to ignore it. That's one. Right. But you would think that they would also kind of start scratching their heads and saying, well, wait a minute, what is this group? Like, what? who are these two people who are brazen enough and so careless about human life that they would, you know, roll up into a kosher deli, mm-hmm. you know, to take innocent life. You would think that you would have report after report. You you you'd you think would they, if it was the right narrative. It would be it would have been on the air for a while. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I remember the what was it a Jewish synagogue? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was shot up and you know, mm-hmm. and that that had a lot of yeah news coverage but i think when you have when you don't have the proper um the elements are not there yeah elements then 
they feel like, no, nah, we, we don't want to talk There's about that. There's a certain that. thing that we expect when we are discussing anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. We, we expect that we're going to be also talking about white supremacy. Yeah. And somehow the president. Yeah. Right. And that's going to be the narrative that is going to be circulated. That's going to be the discussion or or maybe Candace Owens. I think somehow <laughs> she got blamed for like the New Zealand shooting or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, something, crazy. you know, crazy. But, it's crazy. You know, so so but here is here is our focus. And I want to have a conversation around this. Um, there is a growing deception that is happening in the urban context all across this country. And there are some people who have come in contact with black Hebrew Israelites Mm -hmm. and just sort of wave their hand and they're just kind of dismissive, you know, and I don't know that Ravi Zacharias has done a lot of presentations on black Hebrew Israelites. Mm -hmm. And what do you say to your black Hebrew Israelite friends? But this is one of those deceptions that is worthy of robust apologetics. Like this is worthy that we need to dig in. We need to understand what is being taught. We need to understand who has been deceived and how this is growing. And so we're going to have a conversation around that today. And I'm really looking forward to it. And we've got two guests coming up who are going to help us discuss not only black Hebrew Israelites. What is that? There's some people who are going, this is the first time I've heard of that, Miki. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know what that is. Well, that's in part why we do this show. Because there are grand deceptions on massive scales that really the enemy has a vested interest in keeping us unaware. That's right. Right. And so we see this growing in a, in a context that, um, that is unreached as far as um, apologetics goes. Can I just say it frankly? Yeah. Let me say it frankly. And I don't know why I pause. <laughs> I, I just, I, listen, <laughs> I don't like to always use stereotypes unless I intend it to be funny. Right. <laughs> so I try to stay away from stereotypes. Um, unless there's a punchline. Stereotypically speaking, generally speaking, most Christians who are black in America do not invest time in being able to defend the faith. Mm. There is this notion, there is this idea of, well, I just believe. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Well, why? Well, how? I don't know. I just believe. And that's good enough for me, baby. (laughs) Baby, that's done got me this far and I'm good. Okay. But now you've got people who are turning to other quote unquote faiths Mm. because what's good enough for you has not been good enough for them. You understand Mm. what I'm saying? So there is a deficit. There is a great dearth. There is a great need, right? That's unmet. And let me just also say this. Sometimes we don't realize that our apologetic has to match where we live. Hmm. So there are these massive apologetics conferences that take place Uh. that never touch on black deception. Yeah. Guys, that's a problem. Yeah. When the apostle Peter said that we've got to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us, that you got to be ready to give a reason in, in the ninth ward in new Orleans. Mm hmm. In Orange County, California, mm-hmm. you've got to be ready to give a reason, give a defense in Nashville. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. In Texas, you've you've got to be ready. All right. You've got to be ready in Compton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just thinking about where you've got some of these deceptions that are popping up and 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 we don't really know. We don't yeah. know how to defend the truth because we haven't been acquainted with what the, the current lie is. You mm-hmm. know, what is it that people are saying? So having said that. 
what I want to do is I want to I want to look at a passage of scripture and um, and, and then kind of give a, a roadmap as to where we're going to go. We're going to have Pastor Dumasani Washington on with us That's right. um, who works for KUFI. Uh, yes. You say KUFI, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and we're going to talk to him about the rise of, of anti-Semitic behavior mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah. It's growing. And, and one of the things that I want us to kind of focus on is the fact that anti-Semitic attitude and anti-Semitic sentiment does not always have to be violent. Do you understand? Mm. It can be hostile just in your feelings toward Jews and, you know. Yeah. And this is on the rise in the evangelical church. This is mm. on the rise among Christians, okay? Right. Right. Why do we need to care about this? I don't even know. We can just, let's unhinge from the Old Testament. I mean, I don't know. We, I mean, <laughs> we've replaced them. All of these things. Mm. And, and we don't examine this closely enough to realize that this gives rise to, if not just overtly, is anti-Semitic sentiment. That's right. Right? Yeah. So we're going to talk about that in the second segment. In the third segment, we're going to have Vocab Malone on, who has given himself, really thrown himself into studying um, black Hebrew Israelism Mm -hmm. and also is a street apologist. Yeah. So when you encounter black Hebrew Israelites, um, usually at a street on a street corner yelling at white people telling them that they're demons and going to hell right right and and black people who do not acknowledge their black hebrew israelite roots you are just in a cloud you need to right. you need to open up your eyes right okay that's right these are these are the people who came in contact with the covington uh catholic kids right yeah. remember that big whole yeah. debacle they were oh, the yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they were the ones who and, were there yelling and meddling and all of that. And stuff. look, this stuff. I mean, look, we we need not play around with it. It it seeps its way into churches. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, it, it it seeps its way into churches, and that's happening as well. You know, where you have Christian congregations starting to embrace some of this type of uh, mentality and some some of this teaching. So, well, it is it is sensual, as mm-hmm. we talked about regarding other issues mm-hmm. of our ethnicity and and pride and who we are and and needing a sense of identity. And let me say something. For a lot of black people in America, there has been a long thirst for identity. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like I've been robbed of something and I need an identity. Something was stolen from me and I need an identity. So, I don't want to be American because I feel that America stole something from me, right? Mm-hmm. So I so I, I now have this loss. It's a crisis of who am I, right? And and as a Christian, we step in and we say, okay, listen, if you believe that you've been traumatized by America, which I say, let me just say this very plainly, mm-hmm. there is no black culture without America. True. I don't know if people recognize that. Okay, these are facts. You can mm-hmm. you can be mad at that all you want. You can say, no, that's not. No, it's not. It, there is no black culture. What is emulated all around the world. There is no black culture without the United States of America. We did that. <laughs> okay, okay, people, we did that. So, so you, you, if you're looking for a national identity, you have one. Mm. You, can, you can claim it if you want, it's <laughs> but yeah. it is yours. You go anywhere else and you're American. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, you, you just yeah. are. Okay, people. There should there should be a certain amount of joy in that and seeing what this country has afforded us. Right. But that's one thing. Then you tell people and you have an identity in Christ. And that's not enough. 
Mm. You say, hey, you've been given a new identity in Christ. You have been invited to identify with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have been called a new creation in mm -hmm. Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's not enough. Why? Because my flesh needs a sense of identity. My mm -hmm. flesh needs a sense of purpose. Why am I here? Where am I going? What? And, and, and that's and, something when the highest identity is being in Christ. We, how, you know, it's almost like, how do we miss that? You know, because if we say if we're in Christ as Christians who are different, you know, skin mm -hmm. colors, or whatever, that's the highest thing being in Christ. Amen. That that must be true. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that is not always right. true. Right. And that's when the door is open for deception. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter. He said, I charge you in the presence of God. This is chapter four and of Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Who, who is to judge, who is to judge the living and the dead uh, by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Mm. Black Hebrew Israelite teaching is growing in the black context by leaps and bounds for this reason. Because men and women are turning away from the truth. They have itching ears. They're searching for a sense of identity and needing that identity to be chiefly rooted in the color of their skin. Hmm. So black Hebrew Israelism gives a sense of identity and a sense of uh, group hurting right. that you know we we all look the same and we all have this sense of purpose and worth and value simply because of something as superficial as the color of our skin and believing that in the end times in the last days there will be great war made against people who don't look like us right. Right. just based off something superficial like the color of skin and so we must begin to usher that in. Interstage left what you saw in New Jersey on December 12th. Mm -hmm. Guys, I'm not making this up, but this is in urban areas all across the country. Yeah. yeah. All across the country. <laughs> all across. I mean, all across. And don't think that your sleepy town is immune. It's there. Believe it's me. in your sleepy town, too. Yeah. All right. We got to grab the break. Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Jesus, you are my desire. Search my heart, oh Lord, for all things unclean. He's my Lord, I surrender. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We do try to equip the body of Christ and to have conversations that, you know, may be uncomfortable and, and, and not popular conversations to have, but, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have them, That's right. you know? And um, what I am observing is I'm observing once faithful Christians who are black departing and leaving the faith for um, 
various forms of black Hebrew Israelite teaching. Some are mm -hmm. more extreme than others, right. but all of them represent a departure from biblical orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and we need to have more and consistent conversations about this. Um, the mainstream media doesn't want to accurately and honestly yeah. cover what happened in New Jersey on December 12th, but, um, but we have to. Right. And we're not going to do that with any sort of apology. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that was Darius James with Receive Our Worship. Sherry B. is over in Studio CC, and she's gotten our guest on um, to spend this segment with us talking about the rise of uh, anti-Semitic sentiment in the mm. United States of America, um, even among black people mm. in this country, in the, in the black church context, if you will. Dumasani Washington, who is the diversity outreach coordinator for the organization Christians United for Israel, or KUFI, joins us today. Um, Dumasani, Pastor Dumasani, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Amiki, it's good to be on with you. How y'all doing? It's doing good. It, we're good. We're good. It's good to talk thank to you. you. It, it's kind of disheartening, though, to talk to you under these circumstances and just kind of um, reflect on where we continue to head. You know, we've we've talked in the past about Black Hebrew Israelites. And um, just kind of looked at the rise of this and how it is spreading and sort of subversively, uh, subversively spreading. And what I wanted to talk to you about, Pastor Washington, today was the rise of anti-Semitic sentiment um, as it's creeping increasingly into the church. Do you observe this happening? Uh, yes, um, uh, Mickey, I do. So um, in, in my role with KUFI, uh, since the fall of 2014, one of the many things that I do is I travel the country, and uh, I specifically talk to pastors and church members about the biblical mandate to stand with Israel and Jewish people. Mm. Uh, we do this, again, first and foremost, biblically, and then we talk about what's going on in the Middle East, those types of things. And I also specifically speak to the multi-ethnic body of Christ. I'm mm -hmm. with black pastors, white pastors, Hispanic, Asian throughout the, the whole body, as the Word of God says, every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. Amen. When I am with black pastors, I generally get two questions the most. One will, well, number two is usually the Israel trips, because we go to the Holy Land. Mm -hmm. But number one, if I'm just kind of assessing it, they ask me about the black Hebrew Israelites. Even if they don't know the name of the different groups, mm -hmm. uh, they will have had some sort of experience with it. Often it might be maybe young black men in their churches have been dabbling in it, or maybe have even left their church uh, to follow this movement. Um, and I need to say to everyone listening, uh, it is uh, not a single movement. There are black Hebrews who've identified as such that go all the way back to the late 1800s here. Uh, they were never an anti-Semitic group. They were not, never an anti-white group in that sense. These were black people who I had either discovered their Israelite heritage, or had converted to some form of Judaism. That's what this actually was. It goes way back. I'm kind of oversimplifying. However, what you did have over a period of time was some splintering groups who were more black nationalists, more militant in their uh, in their dogma, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's the group, that negative one, that you see so much on social media. People may have seen them on the street corners. They're doing a lot of yelling and cursing and swearing. Mm -hmm. That's the group that seems to be gaining traction, particularly with young black men. So you know what I want to do? I should probably take a step back because you wrote a book um, that was released in 2014, Pastor Washington, Zionism and the Black Church, Why Standing with Israel 
will be a defining issue for Christians of color in the 21st century. Do you see the points that you were making in that book? Do you see those points realized? I mean, is this is this still one of those uh, defining issues? Yes, it, it is, uh, Miki. And and what I would say too is speaking now specifically as a pastor, both mm-hmm. in the scriptural and the uh, the, the spiritual context. Um, yes, when we talk about what the Word of God actually says, everything from I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Uh, we talk about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We understand that we are living in a modern-day miracle that the Jewish people who have been scattered over the four corners of the earth, the, the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, is a fulfillment of a promise that God made that was about 2,000 years in the making. This is actually the Word of God come to life, and we have these types of conversations. When it comes to any type of solidarity with Israel, understanding Israel in the biblical context, which is usually my main focus with the pastors, that's something we kind of delve into once again scripturally, and we'll look at different examples of how those scriptures, how those promises are actually being fulfilled. Yes, since I wrote that book, and I am writing uh, the second edition now, um, and my friends are yelling at me because it's taking a while, but I'm a slow writer, <laughs> but um, we are working on the second edition that will have some more information. But yes, since I wrote the book, I'm even more convinced now, and what we're seeing now, for example, this is one example, the rise of anti-Semitism in this country and throughout the Western world. We see this going on in the UK. They mm-hmm. just dodged the bullet and not addressing the uh, who, person who would have been a prime minister who is very, very sensitive to, to terrorism against Israel. Mm-hmm. We see what's going on in, uh, in Paris. We see what's going on I mean, in France and in Germany, throughout different parts of Europe. And again, it's happening here. It's not like it is there but we do see it unfortunately happening and we see flashes of it, especially in the black community, which is very, very unfortunate. Mm. You know, it seems like, and I, I don't want to toggle back to specifically the rise in the black community, but it seems to me that this confirms God's relationship with Israel. I mean, it just seems like you were talking about a group of people who cannot outrun this type of hatred. They cannot outrun yeah. this type of, of right. persecution. I mean, yeah. do you see this almost as sort of like a, a biblical confirmation of the relationship yeah. that God still has with Israel? Absolutely. So you see two things converging, Will and Mika, Miki. What you see happening at the same time is what Jesus, remember what Jesus said to them he, when he was describing the end times, he told them that nation would rise up against nation, mm-hmm. people against people. He was talking about both nations in terms of nations, but also ethnic groups. He was describing a great deal of ethnic strife, and we see that's what we know. Again, we're not predicting, predicting when he's coming. He was just telling his disciples, you're going to see these types of things play out. Well, what does that converge with? It converges with what also Jeremiah called the time of Jacob's trouble, in which this man's inhumanity to man this hatred, these abduction of children, these killings, all these things that we see happening, they are released, we believe, as Christians, where they are released because of what God said about Israel. It is their hatred, it's man's hatred for Israel and the Jewish people that actually spurs on all this other hatred that begins to affect everyone. Psalm 83 is one of the many places in Scripture that describes hatred for Israel is tantamount to hatred for God. Now, again, that doesn't mean that Israel is God. Mm-hmm. What the Scriptures actually teach is that Israel's enemies, the Scriptures say themselves, God, they're coming after us because they're coming after you. That mm-hmm. has always been the case. You know, and I think it's interesting, too, as a Christian, when you read through Paul's letter to the Romans, 
you see that our brother Paul asserts that God is not done with Israel, that there is a work that is still ongoing. Mm -hmm. And yet we have, even among evangelical pastors, this sort of, in some cases, an outright expression or in other cases, just sort of this greasy kind of sideways talk about (laughs) the nation of Israel as if God is done with them and that's over with and we have replaced them. How do we get there, Pastor Washington, or how did we get there? Well, it goes back to, again, a lack of understanding of Scripture. So what you've done several times just now, Miki, you've gone back to the Word and done what our Jewish brothers and sisters call a pashat. In other words, the plain sense of the text. You looked at the text and said, here's what the Scripture says, and then you turn and pivoted, and you look at what's going on, even within the Church, unfortunately, and you see a disconnect. Well, don't we see a disconnect throughout the Church, in, in almost in, not all of the Church, obviously, the sections of the church on so many different areas, whenever the church historically has fallen away from biblical truth, all kinds of things have started to happen, and we see among that would be a certain amount of replacement theology, which is what that whole false teaching is, that teaching that somehow God is done with Israel. It's funny you mentioned Paul, and particularly in Romans chapter 11, is when he says that about, he asked the rhetorical question, Romans 11 verse 1, has God forsaken Israel? And he answers it himself, heaven forbid, I myself am an Israelite from mm. the tribe of Benjamin, he said, from the seed of Abraham. What was Paul doing? He wasn't brag- bragging about his Jewish heritage, nor was he dismissing Jesus. Remember, this man was an apostle of Jesus Christ and the leader of the church. Why was he saying this to the church in Rome, which was the largest church in the New, in the, uh, in the New Testament in that day? because they were already beginning to dismiss the Jewish people. When you read chapters 9, 10, and 11, several times God, Paul tells the Church, don't be arrogant, don't be haughty, don't be proud, don't think you know more than you know. Why is this Jewish apostle warning the Church about being arrogant, proud, and haughty towards the Jewish people? Because he knew it was the seeds of anti-Semitism. These were Christians who were beginning to dismiss the importance of Israel and the Jewish people. Paul, almost in a prophetic voice, warned us 2,000 years ago before we even got to where we are now. You know, there was a story that came out um, after these two terrorists um, murdered Jewish people just because Mm -hmm. they're Jewish. There was a story that came out about a Jersey City school board member who called Jews brutes. And and I want to share with you this this woman, um, Joan Terrell Page, I think is how you say the middle, the, the, it's a hyphenated last name, Joan Terrell Page, and she was a Jersey City School Board member, and at the time that the Jewish community in New Jersey was mourning, she's asking why, why, why are we mourning for them? You know, she's like, where's the call for peace and hope and faith and all of these things when, um, paraphrasing, you know, Jews are busting up into our communities and demanding that we sell our homes and all of these things. And then she says something, and I'm, I'm going to quote her here, and, and I want to get your take on this, Pastor Washington. She says, and she gives the name, the names of the two terrorists who went into this kosher deli, but she says, Mr. Blank and Miss Blank went directly to the kosher supermarket. I believe they knew they would come out in body bags. What is the message they were sending? She says, are we brave enough to explore the answer to their message? Are we brave enough to stop the assault on black communities in America? My people deserve respect and deserve to live in peace in this city, end quote. Where does that hostility come from? How is it that black people, I would, and and, and this is like a multi-part question, (laughs) Pastor Washington. I would just imagine that black Christians in particular 
would have a sense of shared understanding when you talk about maybe a history of suffering Struggle in particular and, yeah. in America, right? Mm-hmm. You would say, man, you know, we can understand being enslaved in, in a history, a narrative of suffering. How is it that the roles or the understanding is no longer there and now there is just hostility? Well, what's interesting, uh, if we take a step back historically, Dr. King addressed this very thing uh, in terms of Jewish relationship within the black community, vice versa. Uh, and he also talked about even this uh, this conflict that happens in the city. Those of you who are listening, if you go to Rabbinical Assembly, rabbinicalassembly.org, and you'll see a transcript of Dr. King's conversation with a group of Jewish rabbis shortly before he's killed, 10 days before he's killed. And they actually have this conversation. Israel is involved, the Jewish people, these types of things. And one of the things he addresses, Nikki, is that um, there is uh, that conflict sometimes in the urban areas. He even addressed the whole landlord issue, store owner issue, because he was saying some of the people were using that as an excuse for anti-Semitism. And he, one of the things he explained was that, he said, when we see unfair business practices, this, that, and the other, he said, it's Jewish, it's Italian. He said, it's black business owners who act like scoundrels, he said. He said, it's not all. He said, but what happens is that it gets concentrated. And he was explaining how there really hadn't been any real anti-Semitism in the black community. This was something that was a newer phenomenon. This was in the late 1960s. Now, prophetically, he even said, it may grow from here. Mm. But right now, it's very small. Once again, he was a prophet as well. We are dealing with it now on a much broader scale. Much of it has to do, yes, Nikit, with uh, the hurt and pain within many poor black communities and that ability that need to scapegoat other people. So what you'll oftentimes see is the blaming of white people. We're blaming of whether it's politically conservative or whatever, or blaming of Jews. And what's ironic is oftentimes the blaming of Jews is because they're in close proximity. What many people don't understand is that one of the reasons why you'll find in places like New York and New Jersey where blacks and Jews live in close proximity, you know, it's amazing that as desegregation was kind of starting to creep in and black folks were moving in the neighborhoods, some Jewish people were sometimes the only ones that would not only rent to, but live among them. While other folks wow. were doing the white flight thing, mm-hmm. their Jewish brothers and sisters were actually there. I have a friend of mine who years ago, his uncle, I believe it was his uncle, owned a drugstore within the black neighborhood in this, in this New York area. Other people were moving out, and they, they would encourage him to move as well. He said, no, I'm going to stay because if my store is not here, they'll have to go across town and pay even more money. I'm committed to this neighborhood. You saw mm. that a lot, mm. just like you saw Jewish folks, market black folks. But what happens? We all know on this call that when that pain is deep, we really don't care. This is how you get back on black crime. Why is that brother shooting that other brother? Because he's so lost hope and he's so in despair. So how can we expect him to treat the Jewish community better than we treat our own community? Wow. That's actually what starts to play out. When you factor into this historic anti-Semitism thing, the Jews control the banks by, the Jews control the weather, the Jews control the music, that type of thing also fuels that and a lack of, uh, of information, a lot of ignorance that's there. Next thing you know, they become the scapegoat. So here these people come in shooting up these Jewish people. And some people are listening. You know, they wanted to go to the yeshiva. There's a school that's right next door mm-hmm. that he wasn't able to go in because the door was locked. So they changed their mind and went into the deli. And you have, unfortunately, many black people in the neighborhood, not all, but many, obviously, who are laughing, who are blaming the Jews, like that woman that you just got through quoting. Yes. Even within the New Yorker, there was an article in the New Yorker, and I don't believe the author was black, 
He wants to unpack why it happened. Now think about it. Pastor Washington, we got to grab this break. We got to grab this break. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's Shailen. Our God is in the heavens. And I wanted, we had to go abruptly to the break, but I wanted to hear the point that Pastor Dumasani Washington was making. Pastor Dumasani, by the way, is diversity outreach coordinator uh, for the organization Christians United for Israel. And you were talking about, I guess, this the way that um, the cover-up mm-hmm. for anti-Semitic behavior being on the rise in the United States of America, and you mentioned the New Yorker. Yes, ma'am. There was an article in the New Yorker, and I actually just sent the link to Will so he could see it, and I skimmed over, and there were several of us like it that were actually trying to, quote-unquote, unpack what the shooting was about. And again, we see that kind of you know, language when it's Jews. In other words, it was a terrorist shooting that actually targeted a specific ethnic group. But in call, instead of calling it out, instead of calling out the black Hebrew Israelite group that they were a part of, those types of things, they want to make it more of this kind of this ethereal thing. And let's literally discuss why these people are angry as they are. Now, think about it for a moment. Mm. If a white person who was, a, I don't know, Trump supporter, whatever you want to call it, had gone and right. done that, they wouldn't have unpacked all those things. No. They would have called, called him what he was, called mm-hmm. him a thug, called him those types of things. This is where we are right now, the justification of violence. Because it's Jews, it's a dangerous part of the way in this country right mm, now. It is mm. so dangerous. Pastor Washington, how can our listeners learn more about KUFI? Go to KUFI.org, C-U-F-I.org, and you'll find all of our information there, including how you can attend events or if you can schedule an event. You can go on there and reach out to me on our Speakers Bureau if you want to connect with me. We'd love to come to your church and come, come to your, your community. It's no cost to you as pastors. Please understand our donors allow us to travel to where you are to meet with you and give you information, kufi.org, and get all the information. Also, plan to join us for our summit in Washington, D.C. this next uh, June. Very good. Thank Pastor so Dumasani Washington, thank you. We appreciate it. All right, let's do this. Let's go to our next guest and kind of drill down and try to get a better understanding, if we mm-hmm. can, about black Hebrew Israelites, who they are, what they believe, why they are a threat or a danger to the church, and in particular, why black men seem to be drawn to yeah. this um, you know, this group. And yeah. I know that there are different variations and all of that, and we'll get into right. a little bit of that. Um, our guest right now is Vocab Malone. He was born and raised on the south side of uh, Columbus, Ohio. He's got a master's degree from Phoenix Seminary, and a doc- he's a doctoral student at Talbot School of Theology. Uh, his focus is on urban apologetics and cultural worldview analysis. Mm. And not only has he debated black Hebrew Israelites, but he also presents this information. And, and you know, this is something that I feel like is, you know, it's kind of slippery. It's not easy for us to grab on yeah. because there yeah. are different versions of black Hebrew Israelism. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I was drawn to in watching some of his presentations on mm-hmm. YouTube is the amount of compassion. Mm-hmm. and generosity mm-hmm. that he displays in debating black Hebrew Israelites. Vocab, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking about this very important topic. All right, awesome. well, well, let's just do this straight away then. Let's kind of break it up. What is black Hebrew 
Israelism? There's two components, two key components to every form and every variety of this ideology. Number one, people that you think are descendants of Africans who are descendants of slaves in the Western Hemisphere are actually descendants of the biblical Israelites. And you might even want to modify it and say the true descendants, implying there's fakes out there. Mm. Number two, this lineage has implications in regards to salvation in some form or fashion. Those are the two key components. Now, there's tons of varieties and different versions. There's more exclusive, there's more inclusive, there's more radical, there's less radical, there's more orthodox, there's less orthodox, but those two key components constitute black Hebrew Israelism. Okay, so then, so you, so then by this teaching, mm. I would be considered a, a, a Hebrew or a true Israelite just because of the color of my skin, just because of being a black American woman, correct? It depends on who your father is by most of their reckonings. If your father is a white man, if your father is an Indian, if your father is an Asian, if your father is an African, if your father is an Arab, you are not a Hebrew Israelite because it's according to who your father is. So Bob Marley, for example, is off because he had a white dad. Barack Obama is not a Hebrew Israelite because he had an African father. So uh, <laughs> it depends who your father is, according to most <laughs> versions of Hebrew Israelism. Okay, where wow. does it, but but okay. <laughs> so where does this come from? What's what's the origin of this doctrine? Well, in 1919, there was a school in Harlem that was essentially a school of Black Judaism called the Commandment Keepers. They were Torah only and uh, claimed to be Torah observant. Although I don't know if any man or woman is truly Torah observant according to the scriptures. Right. Nonetheless, <laughs> the Torah observant and hence the name Commandment Keepers. After about 50 years. Some of the members, a small group of the members, got tired of the Old Testament-only focus, wanted to bring in some New Testament teachings and switch some other things around, left the school, began a school in 1969 called the Israelite School of Torah, went through several different names. The man's name was Abba Bivens, and his key student was Ariyah. Those are the modern-day uh, progenitors of the primary aspects of the Hebrew Israelism that we see out on the street corners growing rapidly. Mm. Which which wow. one is the the one who believes he is John the Baptist reincarnate? Did I did I hear that somewhere? Is there someone that's, that that's Ariyah, the guy I just mentioned? Um, oh wait, you said John the Baptist. Oh, I'm sorry, I, think, I, I was thinking John the Revelator. So Ariyah, the one I just mentioned. Okay, he, John the he's Revelator. Supposed to be John John the Revelator. Reincarnated. There actually is a guy who's John the Baptist reincarnated, but I'm forget. Oh, it was Abba Bivens. So Abba Bivens. <laughs> see, uh, Abba Bivens is supposed to be uh, John the Baptist reincarnated, if I'm not mistaken on that one. But I know Ariyah is John the Revelator reincarnated. Now, not all Hebrews like to believe in reincarnation, but those are the kinds that I'm talking about. The, we call them One West Hebrew Israelites, the so-called radical or extremist ones. Um, they do believe in reincarnation. Almost all of them they since have stopped trying to figure out who is who because what happens is when they would have doctrinal disputes, <laughs> if you called a guy King David <laughs> and he disagrees with you doctrinally, well, you're going to have some problems because he's King David, who's in charge of Israel, right? Mm. So this really, hap this really happened with a guy named Mashah, and he broke off, and, and so they kind of stopped naming who's who. But a couple of the old-timers are still alive who are uh, supposedly granted knowledge of who they were in the, in the prior existence. Okay, so... I my thing is I'm seeing this stuff start to crop up in like even like churches. 
uh, mm-hmm. black churches. Yep. So and and this, the same belief that you know that we are the real Jews. You know, how does that stuff get into like seemingly solid? Or used to be solid churches yeah. and begin to change uh, towards that. Yeah, there is an infiltration of Hebrew Israelism into actually even some larger churches. And so if you're, I'm not saying you, but if mm-hmm. the listener stereotype of a Hebrew Israelite is like David Anderson, the guy who murdered four or five people mm-hmm. over the last two weeks, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, what they call a mitri, although that's an incorrect pronunciation, shades and a beard, they are not all like that. It's becoming more mainstream, more middle class, and even in some instances, upper middle class. And so uh-huh. it is branching out and spreading out. Now, they tend to disavow sort of the radical behavior, mm-hmm. but they still hold to those two central theses, and almost all of them think modern-day Jews are frauds, both religiously and ethnically. How does this happen? Well, you know, there's a discernment problem in a lot of the evangelical church, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Regardless of uh, what ethnic background the congregants are, there's a discernment problem. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of confusion in the culture, I think, right now about some of these issues, and people are pining for social justice. Mm. They feel like maybe they're not seeing it, mm-hmm. and they feel like Hebrew Israelism has the answer, as well as a theodicy for why the transatlantic slave trade happened in the first place. They've got a nice, a nice and tidy answer to explain, explain that, that problem, that evil. And so they find things in Hebrew Israelism that they often feel are lacking in their Christian congregations. And the biggest one of all is a sense of identity. Yeah. We need to teach Boom. what it means to have identity in Christ. <laughs> Amen. Because clearly people are not feeling like that's enough right now. Vocab, <laughs> look, let me t- look. Amen. Look, okay, look, <laughs> that is the nail hit on the head yeah. right there. That is the problem. A loss and a, and, a, and a desire, it is a thirst for identity. And then you've got someone who comes along and is going to provide for you a type of family, a new sense of you're not, you know, you're on top, you're not beneath. Now, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind mm-hmm. of in control mm-hmm. here. And so, you know, I want you to kind of speak to that a little bit because this is really appealing and, to black men. And, and I want, yeah, I was going to say that. I wanted too, if the feminizing of the church has oh created goodness. a void to where, because it seemed like, what men that go towards this are drawn to like the, we have some type of authority and strength, you know, that they may not see in, in the churches. Same with Nation of Islam, you know, is that is a, is a draw for, for true manhood. Mm. Yeah, that second point is very important. Um, a lot of men, to be frank with you, feel neutered by the kind of softness that, that, that uh, encompasses a lot of our churches. Wow. And, you know, looking all smooth with a suit on, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but mm-hmm. they, they, don't, they don't identify with that. They get to be a place where they're with other big, strong men. They can rock out a beard. They don't have to be ashamed for raising their voice. I'm just telling you kind of the perspective of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they see a place where they fit in, where brotherhood is encouraged. Now, it turns into a gross patriarchy, and that's, that's mm. the gentle word, really. It turns into a gross misogyny with a large number of the groups. Not all of them, but a large number of them, uh, you do see that. In fact, a lot of them uh, practice polygamy, but specifically polygyny, which means one man with multiple women. They don't think it goes the other way, of course. Mm. Wow. And so you see that even manifesting itself as well. So there are some challenges that need to be done. You know, a lot of our churches, you got 
one guy kind of in charge and he kind of treats a lot of sometimes the other men like they're not really full grown adults. Mm. And Hebrewism, these guys get a sense of empowerment. They're called officer and captain and trooper. And there's a sense of order and discipline they feel. And, and they're just looking at the Christian church like, why am I going to go back to what you have to offer? And a lot of times they frame it this way. This guy wants us to go back to worshiping white Jesus. Not going to happen. Mm. Okay, wow. so then right now, on the spot, vocab Malone, give us an apologetic for that. I mean, I understand, you know, we have talked to people, we've had people even call our show, we were doing the morning show, we had people call in, they say, hey, you know, I remember one guy in particular, was a black guy, he said, I'm a Christian, and he goes, but you're wrong about, you know, black Hebrew Israelites, and then he said, we don't all believe that. So he's calling himself a Christian and a black Hebrew Israelite. He's also talking to us about keeping the law. He's also talking to us about what we can't eat. And there's a sense of you are justified by keeping the law. And it feels like they're all over the place, depending on who you talk to. Where do we start to defend the truth? Well, a lot of these guys when you probe them do not believe in the unqualified deity of Christ. A lot of them do not believe in the triune nature of God. A lot of them do not believe in the full authority of the New Testament, discounting Paul as some kind of secondary status is a very common move within these circles. Hmm. And so you see these errors being made. It's not just the identity claim, which oftentimes, to be frank with you, is dubious. That's not even uh, one of the worst claims. It's all these other things. And so it looks kind of like the Hebrew Roots movement. If people are familiar with that, it has components of that, which is kind of just modern-day Judaizers, to be mm-hmm, frank with you. Mm-hmm. And then and then it looks also uh, like the old British-slash-Anglo-Israelites, in which they claim Europeans and Americans were actually the 12 tribes, and they had this whole system down. Like Denmark uh, is evidence that the Jews went through there because it really means Dan's mark and all this kind of stuff. Well, the Hebrew Israelites are, are a later adopted, flip it on its head version of that. So they are just like a hodgepodge of errors. I mean, most of these guys accept the Apocrypha as authoritative, so they'll be quoting from the Apocrypha. It's, mm-hmm. it's canonical. It just goes on and on and on. Um, there's a number of places you can get them. One thing is learn how to interpret Deuteronomy 28:68, and indeed the whole chapter, which says, Then the Lord will make you return to Egypt by ship over a route. I said to you that you would never see again. There you will sell yourselves to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Uh, a key is again. And so this has to be talking about actual Egypt because you can't go back to a place you've never been. But they say, no, it's metaphorical for a house of bondage, which means slavery, which means this is a prediction of the transatlantic slave trade in which we come by ship. Notice it says ship, not slave ship. And then they'll say, well, so Egypt is metaphorical, but the ships are actual ships. So it switches meaning. And then notice it says you will sell yourselves. Now, the KJV says you will be sold. Um, either way you go, even though the modern grammar uh, reflected in the modern translations is probably more accurate that you'll try to sell yourselves, which makes sense. It means Israel's going to fall on such hard times as a result of the curses because they've been just so disobedient that they're going to actually want to sell themselves to the servitude to try to pay to get out of debt. That's why it's a, a curse that even gets worse, because the last sentence says no one will buy you. That mm-hmm. makes sense. They say you'll be sold, but even with that, the sentence after it says no one will redeem you. Now, that literally means buy. But guess what? People were buying the slaves. So mm. what do they do? They have to change the meaning of that as well. They wow. say, well, that redeem there actually means no one will save you. So they play games, <laughs> but Deuteronomy 2868 is the key place they go. Now, some of them are catching on to the fact that it's very poor eisegesis, so they're jumping around to other verses, but we're going to get them wherever they go by God's grace.
Man, mm-hmm. vocab Malone. Wow. Okay, Thank we you, are man. out of time. I appreciate <laughs> this. I mean, this is it goes by fast. Let our listeners know how they can connect with you and learn more about your research. My main platform is youtube.com slash vocab Malone. In December, I'm putting one video up a day. I primarily focus on Hebrew Israelism and Islam, and I'm on across all social media at at vocab Malone and another handle at Street Apologist. Those two, you can find me all over the web. Okay, we'll make sure that we put links in this podcast so people can find it and connect with you. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.